turn, if you would, to John chapter, let's see here, uh, John chapter 5. We're in the middle of a series uh, called The Seven Signs, okay? And uh, they are the seven signs in the book of John uh, that point back to Jesus as being the Son of God. And uh, so if you open up the book of John, there's actually, that book is broken up into four smaller books. It's the prologue, the seven signs, uh, the book of encouragement, and then the epilogue. Uh, so uh, it's a very fascinating book. It's incredibly encouraging. And so I want to encourage you guys to, to give it a read. Um, but before we dive into it, I want to share uh, a, a couple uh, laughs with you, if you would. It doesn't have anything to do with my message, but I just want to share it anyway. Uh, this lady walked up to this old man, this little old guy, and just said, you seem to be so happy all the time. And he was just rocking back in his chair, just so happy, smiling ear to ear. She goes, you must know some secret to happiness that I don't know. She goes, what, what is it that you do that makes you so happy all these years? And he said, well, uh, it's really simple. I, I smoke three packs of cigarette a day, cigarettes a day. I have a pint of whiskey. I only eat fried foods and I never exercise. She said, really? My goodness. And, and how old are you? He said, I'm 26. Uh, here, here's another one. Um, this, uh, this couple was Christmas shopping and... Um, the crowds were just horrendous. Uh, who here has been to the mall since Thanksgiving? Let me see your hand. Man, you guys are bold and crazy. Anyway, this, this couple was uh, at the mall shopping for Christmas, and the crowds were just horrendous. And somehow or another, they got separated. Well, uh, the wife got real concerned. Uh, and so she called up her husband on the cell phone and just said, Hey, honey, are, are you okay? Where are you? Is everything all right? And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm just fine. Uh, let me tell you where I am. He goes, do you remember that jewelry shop that I took you to five years ago where you saw that beautiful diamond necklace? And I promised you that one day when we have the money, I was going to buy it for you. And her eyes watered up with tears and said, yes, I, I know the place. He goes, well, I'm in the bar right next to it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're going to be talking about um, uh, the title of our talk this morning is Dealt a Bad Hand. What, what, what do you do? What do I do? How should we respond when life deals us a bad hand? Um, uh, you know, I was playing cards with uh, my family last night um, with uh, uh, my in-laws and my daughter who's 11. And somehow or another, you just kind of, all of you guys have played it before, you just kind of evenly spread them out and give everybody their proper number of cards and um, once you have the proper number 
uh, you take out the the joker, and uh, and there you go. You you got your cards, and you and you're ready to go. And uh, it's very fascinating for anyone here that's ever played the game of cards before. As soon as you pick them up, you have this this set of emotions that's either excitement and you're trying to contain it, like I'm I'm got to show everybody that, you know, um, or there's like severe depression. Like, oh, shoot. Um, and, and when you're dealt a bad hand, it's like, oh, how am I going to get out of this? You know, how am I going to get out without losing? I, I just I want to minimize my losses. How am I going to get out of this? And, and sometimes when you're dealt a bad hand in life, uh, you're the culprit. You're the one who caused the bad hand. You dealt it. It was because of your decisions, or I dealt it to myself. It was because of my decisions. I brought this upon myself. I'm in this bad situation because of what I've done, because of what I've said. I've dealt it. And, and I've done that before playing cards. See, I am the worst shuffler in this room. Uh, when you guys shuffle, if you know how to shuffle, it sounds like... Right? When I shuffle, it sounds like boop, boop, boop. It's like, <laughs> like, and I'm not even faking it, okay? Um, I, I cannot shuffle. And so whenever it's my turn to shuffle and I get my, de- my cards and they look exactly like the hand I had before, I have nobody really to blame outside of myself. I'm the one that dealt myself these cards. It's because I can't shuffle. I dealt it to myself. Uh, So sometimes I'm the culprit. Other times, I'm the victim. I didn't do anything to get a bad hand. They were dealt to me. And sometimes in life, you are in a bad situation and you didn't do anything to bring it upon yourself. They got dealt to you. Regardless of whether or not we're the culprit or we're the victim, You still have to deal with the set of cards that you've been dealt. What do you do? What do I do when we've been dealt the bad hand? Most importantly, what does Jesus do when we've been dealt the bad hand? Rather than reading the passage of Scripture uh, that I want to unpack this morning, I want to show it to you uh, via a video. Why don't you take a look at this? thou be made whole. Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Rise. Take up thy bed and walk.
is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed and walk. What man is that which saith unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? You know, um, that scene is so warming to me, um, partly because, and here's point number one, Jesus drew near. Jesus is always near to people who are in, in dire straits. Why does that speak to me? It speaks to me because I've spent my time in hospitals praying for people, visiting people in my own family. And as much as I want to make sick people around me feel comfortable, especially people I don't know, it's very difficult. Maybe some of you know what I mean. Have you ever looked at somebody who's handicapped, somebody who's in a wheelchair? And you don't want them to feel awkward. And so you want to treat them just like you treat everybody else. But you're not quite sure how to do that. And for some of us, we don't trust our own expressions. In our heart, we want to express kindness. Um, But we're not sure if our face is showing kindness. And so we're unsure about that. And so we go to our default mechanism, and that's just to act normal. But in the process of acting normal, we're acting like they're not there. And you kind of look over them. Um, And you don't want them to feel awkward, but it's... You're afraid that if you try too hard, it'll become awkward. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and so we, we just have an awkwardness when it comes to people that are sick in need. What's fascinating about Jesus is that he sees this pool where the Bible says there's crowds of sick people and he goes walking among them. What he does is he sees people that are in need and says, this is where I want to be. Uh, If you're taking notes this morning, uh, write down this Psalms 34 verse 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. If there's anyone here that has a broken heart, if there's anyone here that uh, there's a part of your life that is crushed, I just want you to hear me say this. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning. The Lord is very near to you. You know, I have a friend of mine, uh, two friends of mine, Chris and Denise Arthi. Some of you know them very well. Well, Chris um, ran almost uh, a dozen full marathons. He ran the top five most popular in the world, Paris, Boston, Chicago, um, New York, London. Um, And he and his wife got hit by a drunk driver and they both lost their leg. And it's so fascinating because Chris um, uh, was very, he worked in a professional environment. He worked for Exxon, uh, an Exxon vet, if you will, worked for there many years. And he said something to me that I'll never forget. He says, you know, I'm waiting for my prosthetic leg. And once my prosthetic leg comes, I know this, this part of the journey will be over. He goes, but I'm looking forward to getting out of this wheelchair because I feel like I'm invisible. Like people just kind of look right over me or right through me. And he goes, and I know they care about me. They just don't know what to do with me. And then it was so fascinating 
Because when he got his prosthetic leg and he was able to stand up on his own two feet again, he says, it's nice to be seen again. See, when you go through difficult times, you can feel invisible. You can feel hollow. You can feel alone. You can be in a room full of people and feel completely alone. You could make the argument that in a, in a hospital um, uh, per square foot, there's more people in a hospital than anywhere else in the city. But you could also back up and say that those people in that hospital are more lonely than anyone else. It doesn't matter how many people are there. It's mattering what's going on in here that causes that loneliness to take place. We've all heard the phrase, don't share your dirty laundry. In other words, hey, what's happening in our family, if it's not good, don't share it. Not everybody needs to know when a marriage is going bad. Not everybody needs to know when finances are tough. Not everybody needs to know we just yelled at each other and threw a glass across the room. Hello. Not everybody needs to know that business. And, and what we're really saying is, is that if everybody knows what's not going well in our life, there's a possibility they may think less of us. So don't share the dirty laundry. What Jesus does is he says, I see your dirty laundry and I want to come in the mixed. I am near. I don't care what situation you're in. Maybe you're on the mountaintop and things are going awesome and that's really cool. But for the other 99% of the people in this room, if you're facing something, just remember this. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Uh, I want to say that not only is he near, but he wants to pursue you. Here's a few scriptures that reflect his heart on this topic. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, it says, I am jealous for you. I'm jealous for your attention. I'm jealous for your affection. Sometimes it's human nature that when things are not going well, we're a little disappointed with God. I know I said that out loud in church, but when things are not going well, we don't want to say it, but we're a little disappointed. We begin to withdraw. And the Bible says that when we do withdraw, the, the Lord is like, I am jealous for you. In, in Jeremiah 33 verse 3, it says, call to me, I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. I know you're confused. I know you don't know what to do. Would you give me a shot? I'm near. I'm right next to you. Will you give me a shot? Here's what he says in Psalms 50, verse 15. Call to me in the day of trouble. Don't call me when everything is going well. You ever know when somebody says, hey, I'm moving next week. And you go, oh, really? I'm going to be out of town. <laughs> you know, nobody likes to help somebody else move. That's not enjoyable. You know, it, it, you know, have you ever got a flat tire in the middle of the night and you got 200 names in your phone, all of a sudden when times are tough, you're only going to call two of those 200? Because most people in your life, when things are going bad, don't call me. Just call me when things are going, if you win the lottery, call me. Jesus is the exact opposite. He goes, when you're in trouble, 
when things are not going well, I want you to call me. In Psalms 91 verse 15, he will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble and I will deliver him and honor him. Revelations chapter 3 verse 20, it says, look, I have been standing at the door and I am constantly knocking. If anyone hears me calling him and opens the door, I will come in and fellowship with him and he with me. What's that scripture saying? He's saying this, that he's at our heart. You know, it's annoying when people don't knock on my door properly. I don't know if we can connect on this, but this is how, if you ever come to my house, this is how I prefer you knock. Or you can be fancy. That's fine too. This is unacceptable. Unacceptable. I'm yelling all the way to the door. I'm going to open the door with a big smile on my face, but it's fake. (laughs) Anyone who knocks like this, I am pretending that you're welcome because you're not. You're rude (laughs) and I don't appreciate it. The Bible says that he stands at the door and knocks. He stands at the door and knocks. See, some would say that you have been feeling that knock your entire life. Every time you think of the Lord, he's knocking. Every time he crosses your mind, he's knocking. Every time you think about him, he's knocking. And he's saying, will you please open your heart? Will you please talk to me? Will you please, so I can fellowship with you, so I can have a relationship with you. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it says, never stop praying. Do you know that praying is not a monologue? Praying is a dialogue. It's back and forth. And so what he's saying is, I desire to have an ongoing conversation with you. He is near. Number two is that he is... He wants an invitation. Number one, he's near. Number two, he wants an invitation. When Jesus looks at the man and says, do you want to walk? That's the first words out of his mouth is, do you want to walk? To me, that's rude. That's rude. At least say, how's it going? At least do some small talk first. At least say, hey, my name's, you know, Jesus, how are you? At least build some type of relationship. Just come right out and say, want to walk? Come on. But, you know, here's the thing. Questions lead to truth. And the mind has a very interesting way of answering questions that you ask it. If you want to get to truth, put somebody on the stand and ask them questions. What's fascinating is if you ask yourself questions about a situation, your mind will answer. Why do you feel that way? Why are you mad? Why are you resentful? Why are you angry? What is it about the church you don't like? And then keep on peeling it back. What is it about that you don't like? And what is it about that you don't like? And what is it about that? And if you continue to ask yourself questions, what's so interesting is if you ask the mind questions, the heart will become contrite. 
Because truth leads to contrite. What does contrite mean? Uh, ladies, If how many of you have a little packet of powder inside of your purse that you go... Come on, raise your hand. We had somebody in the first service that told me, don't make me cry today. I just got my eyelashes put in and they're not allowed to get wet for 48 hours. <laughs> okay. Um, but how many of you have uh, powder in your purse? If you look on the box, on the back of the box, you'll find under the ingredients the word contrite. What does that mean? That means that that powder has been grinded from a big rock down to sand, smaller than sand, down into powder. It has been grounded down. It is contrite. And when somebody has come to the truth where they are willing to say, yes, Jesus, I need to walk, they have reached a point of humility. They have reached a point of saying, I have been here long enough I need you. This is what the Bible says about having a contrite heart. In Psalms 51, verse 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. You know, for any one of us, when we want Jesus to be a part of our life, it's not a situation where we can back up and go, you see what's happening here? That's not good enough. Of course he sees what's happening. The Bible says that his eye is on the sparrow. And there's like a trillion sparrows. Nothing gets past him. But seeing us is not what he's looking for. What he's looking for is to say, I need you to help me. He wants to hear it with your mouth. He wants to hear your heart say, I need you. I, he's got to hear your voice. That is the most contrite moment any of us will ever have, is to say, I'm sorry, I need you. A lot of times people don't pray because they don't have all the words to express. Those prayers are probably the best because they're the most sincere. It's just as I need you. Yes, I want to walk. See, the tongue always echoes what's in the heart. What's so fascinating about the tongue is that you have so many organs and so many muscles in your body and all of them get tired except for the tongue. The tongue creates words and words create worlds you go into a home where it's positive and uplifting guess what that's a positive and uplifting home words create worlds you go into a home where it's negative and pessimistic guess what that home is negative and pessimistic words create worlds you can meet a child and know exactly what kind of words the parents have been downloading into the children raise your hand if you know exactly what i'm talking about you can words create worlds what's fascinating is the tongue always reflects the heart it's a scary thing and some of you guys know what i'm talking about when somebody has drinking too much alcohol And now they're drunk. And now when a person becomes drunk, their mind can no longer filter 
their words. So now what's in the heart flows out of the tongue freely. The tongue only echoes what's in the heart. The tongue is a very powerful, powerful thing. It reflects how we're feeling. That's why the Lord says, do you want to walk? Yes, I want to walk. Yes, I need you. Hear me say this. The Lord is near, but he wants an invitation. Let me build on the point of how powerful the tongue is with this antidote. I recently read uh, a, a story in Greek mythology about a philosopher named Xanthos. And he had a faithful servant named Aesop. And the, 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 uh, the philosopher said to his servant, I want you to bring me to the banquet, the finest of foods that you can find. And I want you to serve it to me, and I want you to serve it to all of my guests, the finest of foods. And so the servant went out, and he got four tongues. He returned with four tongues. And he brought some dipping sauce to go along with it. How kind and thoughtful. He served four, thong, four tongues out of the mouth of four different animals. And the philosopher said, this is madness. I asked you for the best foods, and you brought me four tongues. The servant replied, tongues are the best of all foods, for out of the tongue comes the bond of civilization. Out of the tongue comes the organ of truth and reason. The tongue is the most, is the instrument of praise and adoration. What better food could there be than a tongue? And so the philosopher looked at his servant and said, all right, go back to the market and bring me the worst foods you can find <laughs> and serve it to me and serve it to my guests. Find me the worst foods you can find. Well, the servant came back and brought four more tongues. But he was kind enough to bring the dipping sauce to go along with it. He served four more tongues. And once again, the philosopher was so angered. He said, why did you bring me four tongues? I told you to bring me the worst of foods. And the wise servant said, tongues are the instrument of all strife and tension. Tongues, the inventor of lawsuits and slander. Tongues, the organ of error, lies, and all kinds of strife and problems. So I brought you the worst food, that is the tongue. The best of foods and the worst of foods is the tongue. Because it reflects what's in the heart. That's why the Lord says, do you want to walk? I don't know what your need is. I'm going to tell you right now, I've got a laundry list of needs, desires. I can guarantee you a dollar to a donut. They're very different than your needs. But both of us have got to come to a place where we say to the Lord, I need your help. I need your help. He wants to be invited. Number three, Jesus will make a difference. He will make a difference. You know, I'm going to give you some, uh, a, a little insight into when I was making these notes. My first draft said, Jesus wants to make a difference. 
And I wrote that in my notes and I sent it off to the tech team. And this morning I woke up and I had indigestion with that third point. Because a lot of us have a very difficult time saying he will make a difference. Because if you're anything like me, I've had prayers get answered and I've had prayers not get answered. And so I had indigestion and the Lord started dealing with me about this point because I didn't want to say he will make a difference. But then it dawned on me that he always makes a difference every time you pray. Here are the possibilities. Possibility number one is he begins to look at you and change your season. He actually changes your season. He, he looks down and he says to the man, pick up your mat. Now, I've thought about this for an entire week because I knew I was going to talk on this topic. And I thought if I were Jesus, I would say you're healed. But why would the thought cross my mind, pick up your mat? Why would he say that? And I just chewed on it, and, and I'll never know for sure why he said that. But here's a possibility. Maybe he said, I want you to pick up your mat and go on home. Because if you leave your mat here, clearly you may think that there's a possibility that you're going to come back to this place. And I want you to know, son, this season is over. This season is over. I want you to pick up your mat and I want you to go on home with it. There is a, I feel like hell shoots arrows of fear towards us sometimes and causes us to think that we're going to be stuck in this season forever and ever. We're never going to get out of this season. And, and some of us in this room have had nightmares before that you're going to get thrown back into a season that was really tough in your life. I know I've been there before where I have a nightmare and I'm being thrown back in to that season. And the, the Lord wants you to know that he changes the seasons. He's the one that created time. He created seasons. And, and I want to share that verse with you in Daniel chapter 20, verse is 20 through 21. It says, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. When he decides that your season is over, it is over. You know, I know that the father of lies sends us fearful thoughts all the time. I was thinking the other day, how would we treat a friend who lied to us as much as our fears do? Let me say that one more time. How would we treat a friend who lied to us as much as our fears do? Our fears lie all the time. Our fears create scenarios that do not have the Lord in them. Our fears are constantly an exaggerated portion of possibility. And they lie to us and they pull our emotions down. And they cause us to get depressed. Depression is when you look at your future and you don't have hope. Uh, hope is an anticipation for the future. Hope is an excitement for the future. And when you don't have hope, 
and you look into your future, that's when depression sets in. It's very fascinating that fears take away hope. But how often has fear lied to us? I want you to know that when the Lord heals you and changes your season, you're not going to go back. You're not going back. You're moving forward. That's when the Lord changes the season. Now, some of you said, you said that there's two possibilities. What's the other one? Well, the second, first possibility is that your prayers change the season. The second possibility is your prayers change you for the season. Now, if you're anything like me, option B stinks. You're not interested in changing for the season. You want the season to change for you. You want everybody around you to adjust to your personality. Hello, yes, I'm Italian and Brazilian, and both of those are pretty strong nationalities. Changing is not, it should be a four-letter word in the category with the other bad words. Don't like that option. But what the Lord wants us to know is that he can change what's happening to us in a moment, but what's happening in us is more important to him, and it requires our participation. The only way I can bring this point to life in a way that is attractive is to share another anecdote, a a, a story. It's about this boy named Chad. He was a young man. I read this years ago. He's just in elementary school, and and, uh, he did not have a lot of friends. He was one of those shy kids. Um, He's not a lot of charisma, just shy and a little bashful, but a good boy, just a good boy. He came home one day, and he told his mom, Valentine's Day is coming, and I want to make a Valentine's card for everybody in my class. And the mother tried to talk Chad out of it. She didn't want him to do it. Um, Because she watches through the kitchen window every time that bus drops him off. And the same thing happens every single day. The bus stops. A crowd of kids comes off the bus and they're all laughing and joking and playing around. And then here comes Chad. He's always the last one off, and he's always 20 paces behind. They've never talked about it before, but she knew that Chad didn't have any friends. So she told Chad, well, why don't we do something else? How about we have a big family, and I'll invite aunt, whoever, and we'll have a big family. And he goes, no, 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 no. I I want to make Valentine's Day cards for everyone in my class. So she went to the store and they got crafts and he began to make individual custom-made cards. He knew which kids like sports and so he made sports cards and he knew which kids like cheerleading and dolls and so he made cards specifically for them. On Valentine's Day morning, uh, he actually got up before his mom, trashed the kitchen because he made himself his own breakfast put all the cards in his backpack. By the time his mother got up, 
He was standing at the door, proud, shirt half tucked in, and said, I'm ready to go. She kissed him goodbye, sent him off to school. And uh, like a good mother, she knew exactly what he loves the most, which are warm chocolate chip cookies. So she made a whole batch of warm chocolate chip cookies because she had this anticipation that the day was not going to go as well as he thought. Three o'clock came and she looked out the kitchen window and she crossed her fingers real tight, hoping that this would be the one day where things would be different. But it wasn't. The crowd of kids came off the bus as usual. And just like any other day, Chad came out along after everybody else and was 20 paces behind. But this time, Chad was walking a little bit faster. His head was down and he was walking fast. As soon as he came into the house, before he even said, hello, I'm home, she said, Chad, I've got your hot chocolate chip cookies ready. And he walked up to his mom and looked her dead in the eye and said, not one, not one. I didn't forget not one person. And as he ate the cookies and drank his milk, he shared the story of how he gave each individual card. When Chad wasn't looking, the mother lifted up the backpack to see if there were any Valentine's cards for him, and there were not any. But that's not what Chad wanted to talk about. Chad wanted to talk about how he didn't forget not one. Two thoughts. Number one, the Lord is not ever going to be happy until he has every one of you saying with a contrite heart, I love you. The family will always be incomplete until you say, I love you. Number two, that is a classic situation where God did not change the situation but he changed the person for the situation. The Lord is looking at Chad and he's got him on a track. He's developing him to being a man after his own heart. He's got a plan for him. And every season prepares you for the next season. He's preparing Chad. I know sometimes we all want our situation to change. When we back up and we say, point number three says God will make a difference. Yes, he will. And it will be the right decision. And it will be the best decision. He'll either change your situation or he'll change you for the situation. But don't ever forget that the Lord is always near. That he wants to be invited. And he will make a difference.